When South Africa's Gaza genocide case against Israel came before the International Court of Justice, the parties faced a bench of 17 judges. Dr Adila Hassim, one of the legal experts who put South Africa's case to the ICJ, said she found it shocking that only four judges on the bench were female. Out of 115 judges who've been members of the ICJ since 1945, only six have been female. That includes Australia's Judge Hilary Charlesworth, who was re-elected for a second term on the 6th of February. Dr Melanie O'Brien is Associate Professor of International Law at the UWA Law School and has expertise in both genocide and the treatment of women in international law. And Dr O'Brien joins us on Sunday Extra Now. Welcome, Melanie. Good morning, Julian. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. The ICJ's founding statute says that as a group, the judges of the ICJ should represent the main forms of civilization and of the principal legal systems of the world. What's your view about the female representation on the ICJ bench? It's uh, pretty appalling, yeah. <laughs> is the bottom line. Um, you, you're looking at essentially uh, about 5% representation of women since the founding of the ICJ in 1945, only six women. So that's that's pretty poor. And as you've mentioned, the statute talks about representation of legal systems but uh, and also of geographical regions, but there's nothing about representation of gender in any way in the statute. Although I gather that there are some moves to try and sort of uh, broaden the interpretation of what that representation of the main forms of civilization and principal legal systems could mean to, to encompass some aspect of gender representation. Melanie, uh, how does the ICJ compare in terms of female representation with other international legal bodies like, say, the ICC? It's actually one of the worst. Um, in fact, probably the, the two worst are the ICJ and the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea, um, with really, really low percentages of women uh, as part of those adjudicative mechanisms. The international criminal tribunals and courts have done better and human rights bodies have also done better, but even those are, are not great. You know, the percentages really vary quite wildly from, from the is, you know, very low at 5% to, at the moment, the International Criminal Court has 50-50 of men and women on the bench. But actually, even that hasn't been the case, despite the fact that the International Criminal Court has a system and has rules about trying to ensure gender parity on the bench. That hasn't always been the case. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, because I, I wanted to ask you about what is the reason for those differences. It certainly seems that the International Criminal Court has a rule that at least six judges of each gender must be on the bench or must be um, put forward when you're electing the 18 judges of the ICC. Why did that rule come about and, and are there any rules for the ICJ? There are no rules for the ICJ. That's the short answer to that one. Mm. Um, and, and that comes from the fact that the ICJ was founded in the 1940s where people were not thinking about women's participation in legal structures, either as lawyers or as judges. I mean, if you look at the the other courts that were around post-World War II courts like Nuremberg, there were certainly no women on the bench. There were no women in the legal teams. So, you know, that's thinking about the culture at the time. The International Criminal Court was created in the late 1990s, and that was a different era when people were actually thinking about the need for women to be represented on the benches. And part of that is because 
is thinking about the role of what those judges are actually adjudicating. So in the International Criminal Court, we're talking about mass atrocities. We're talking about crimes that frequently significantly impact girls and women. And so therefore, it absolutely makes sense that there are women on the bench because you know, we have gender-specific crimes that are perpetrated against girls and women, so there should be women representing that on the bench. And that goes to something I was going to ask you, Melanie. You, you feel that with uh, stronger representation of women on the ICJ bench, that would actually impact on the decisions that are being made? Is there evidence of that from the admittedly small presence of women so far? Has it changed things? <laughs> It's it's a little bit hard to say what the impact of women serving on general international uh, courts and tribunals, so not so much the, the criminal ones but the other ones because, in fact, the, the number of women has been so low that it has been difficult to ascertain whether or not there has been an effect. So that in itself is quite interesting, that the number is so low we can't work out whether it made an impact or not. It has made an impact in the international criminal courts and tribunals. That's absolutely certain. It was female judges uh, who pushed for uh, the crime of rape to be tried, for example, in the Akayesu case before the Rwanda tribunal. Mm. So it, it has made a difference in, in those courts where we have seen more women sitting on the benches. Say, in the case of Gaza, the impact on um, women has been noted upon and um, it seems to have been disproportionate. Um, has, was gender something that, that came out in the Gaza genocide case before the uh, male stack to ICJ bench recently? It was certainly raised in South Africa's submissions. They talked about the impact on women and particularly issues around reproductive health. Um, pregnant women in particular, their experiences of, of being pregnant and also giving birth in the context of an armed conflict, but also in the context of an armed conflict that is specifically targeting hospitals and medical care. So there is a very significant issue here, a gender-based issue regarding women in this particular case that, that the court is mm. now looking at. Uh, and yet it, there was one of the female judges on that bench who dissented from the majority opinion, uh, I suppose, giving a, a provisional view about the, um, the potential for there to be a genocide case against South Africa. What do you make of the dissent of Judge uh, Sebatinde? I was quite shocked, and I think many, many, many other international law scholars were very shocked at Judge Sebatinde's dissent. Essentially, what she said was that she thought that this was a political matter and not a legal matter, and that it should be resolved through diplomatic means. But I think essentially all of us were quite shocked at her saying that because, of course, there are legal issues here. In fact, the whole Israel-Palestine situation is probably the most complex legal situation in the world. So you can't say that this is just political because, in part, we're looking at an armed conflict and an armed conflict is regulated by the laws of war. Um, so there are certainly legal issues here. Um, so that was quite, I mean, it was really quite shocking from a legal perspective. But if you also think about Judge Sebatinde's background, where she has been a judge on the special court for Sierra Leone, um, which looked at the crimes committed in the conflict in Sierra Leone in the 1990s, 
She has had experience hearing from victims in these types of situation, that namely conflict and mass atrocities, and heard about how it has significantly affected women. So she has this experience in her background. So, you know, it. I think, as I said, everyone was pretty shocked at, at her descent in this situation. Yes, although I suppose we should also say that it's um, uh, you can't expect just you know the female judge to always come out in the way that that um, might be expected based on previous considerations. Uh, but I suppose it focuses on the, the the extra attention and pressure that might be placed on uh, female judges on the ICJ. A few years ago, to mark uh, the tenth of March, which I'm now aware is International Day of Women Judges, Dame Rosalind Higgins, who was the first woman appointed to the ICJ, said. I'm not looking for gender parity. The public does expect that judgments should be handed down by people who don't look different from themselves and there must be diversity to reflect society, but not on a parity basis or a percentage basis, but to represent more generally the population um, by having the most capable people out there. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about Rosalind Higgins and what you make of her comments on uh, gender parity on the ICJ bench? Yeah, it's interesting because, of course, Rosalind Higgins was a trailblazer being the first woman appointed to mm. the ICJ 50 years after the ICJ was founded. It took that long. It's quite extraordinary. And she was the only woman on the bench for some time. It wasn't until 2010 that two more women were appointed to the bench. So I think that it is important to have women on the bench for quite a number of reasons. First of all, it shows other women coming up through the legal profession that this is an option for them as a career to be either a lawyer, an advocate in the ICJ or to be on the bench. And we need to remember actually that more than 50% of law graduates are female. So when they look up and they see, okay, but there's no women at the top of the pyramid, uh, you know, it puts them off going forward in the profession. So just that in itself is really important. But also I think if we look at the change in the content of what the court is hearing now, it's really important that we have women on board. Not, And I don't want to say, you know, traditionally the court has more often adjudicated issues such as maritime disputes or boundary disputes. And I don't want to say that those don't affect women because, of course, they do, especially mm. if women live in, in the zone of a, a disputed um, territory or something like that. So, of course, they do. But what what you said about, you know, re actual representation from their regions, 50% of people around the world are women. So, Obviously, women representing their geographical region yeah, is also relevant. <laughs> totally. Well, Melanie O'Brien, um, it's been a great pleasure discussing these subjects with you. Thanks very much for joining us on Sunday Extra. Thank you for having me, Julian. That's Melanie O'Brien, Associate Professor of International Law at the UWA Law School. And just a note about that Gaza case. On the 16th of February, the ICJ released a statement about the situation in Gaza, describing it as perilous and saying it demands immediate and effective implementation of the provisional measures ordered by the court on the 26th of January. And the ICJ said it emphasises the State of Israel remaining bound to comply with its obligations, including by ensuring the safety and security of the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. So um, some, uh, some post-judicial comments from the ICJ there as well. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.